Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And we are two friends from graduate school who have come together around the table with multiple different types of people to discuss food and faith. Today we're talking, we have the great privilege to be talking with Reverend Natalie Hill, and we'll go into more of her work and a little bit of who she is in just a few minutes, but we are having this conversation because as we engage with the body this season, we recognize that our relationships with our bodies sometimes are really hard and challenging. Um, We live in a culture that really props up one certain type of body image and it's really around us on a daily basis and this can have huge impacts on our lives on food on community on our self-esteem so we just wanted to bring someone into the conversation who could start opening up some of these topics with us in a really thoughtful um way and and who has experience in this world and so uh, we're so lucky to have Natalie with us and we also wanted to name before we began that we recognize that these conversations can be challenging they can be so sensitive um, and maybe they bring up a lot within us depending where we are in our journey so we wanted to name that um, if you feel like you're in the place where this conversation is too much right now, that's okay. And we invite you to join in on our other conversations and maybe to revisit this one if there feels like there's a time in the future um, where it might be something that is healing or nourishing in some way. So Christy, how, how would you like to begin today? So I was, um, I was scrolling through Facebook a, a few weeks ago and found that one of my friends posted this incredible poem by this woman named Holly Holden. Um, and I did a little bit of research, and, and she's an incredible author and, um, and poet. And just to sort of start our conversation today with a little bit of centering um, would be a really, really beautiful thing. So this is a poem. I don't believe that it has a title, but we'll, we'll include a link to it in our show notes. Um, but it, it starts off this way. Today, I asked my body what she needed, which is a big deal considering my journey of not really asking that much. I thought she might need more water or protein or greens or yoga or supplements or movement. But as I stood in the shower, reflecting on her stretch marks, her roundness where I would like flatness, her softness where I would like firmness. All those conditioned wishes that form a bundle of not-quite-rightness, she whispered very gently, could you just love me like this? Today we are sitting at the table with Reverend Natalie Hill, founding director of Seaspring Counseling based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with a second location in Brookline, Massachusetts. 
Aside from offering broad counseling services for individuals, groups, and families, Seaspring specializes in working with people who are experiencing eating disorders. And as we know this can be a sensitive subject, we want to offer a safe space for this conversation in ways that we hope will be life-giving and filled with hope. And this is just what I experienced when I first met Natalie through Boston University School of Theology. Natalie is an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church, which means that she works alongside the church in partnership with the community for the transformation of the world. When she first described her work, she spoke of richly theological connections between the body, the table of Christian communion, and the global community of all humans. Natalie is also a colleague of ours in an entrepreneurial group as we dream big and work towards personal and professional projects together in workshop format. Thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So, Natalie, um, the work that you engage in combines many different disciplines, including theology, psychology, and food systems. Can you tell us how you first got into this work of counseling with the specific concentration in eating disorders? Sure. It's been a, a little bit of a journey, as I think it often is. I um, went to seminary right out of under, right following undergrad and felt a pull to help people in the one-on-one setting of counseling. And I did just general counseling for quite a while. And then... Um, a good friend of mine, unfortunately, died related to an eating disorder. Mm. And I, because I had survived an eating disorder myself, I really felt moved to take what I had learned in that process and help other people so that needless deaths could ultimately decrease. Mm. And then over time, after doing that in a secular setting for, for many years, I started to really feel the moving of the spirit to focus on the the intersection of spirituality, faith, and and eating and food as a life-giving experience so that hopefully I could move from trying to treat a really already entrenched problem to trying to prevent and heal earlier on in the process. Mm. Wow. That's a really important intersection. It's what Christy and I are passionate about. Um, and I think there's a lot of depth there of, of how our spiritualities inform food and um, our relationship to food. And I'm curious, coming at it from your, your Christian background and your seminary training um, and now in this process professionally, what sort of teachings in the Christian church um, have you found to hold great potential to contribute to healthy modes of eating um, and then also what teachings promote um, maybe unhealthy choices and how do you respond to that complexity? I think I, I'm going to answer that in, re- in reverse order and talk about the, the problematic pieces and, the, and then the more life-giving pieces. Right. Unfortunately, sure. I think that we've, you know, the Christian tradition has these two threads of ways of relating to the body that have both coexisted throughout the history of the church. And one is very life-giving. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Psalms, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Food is God's good gift to us. The the heavenly banquet as this perfect vision of the kingdom of heaven 
But then there's this other thread that talks about the body as an impediment to the spirit and needing to overcome the flesh. And unfortunately, I think that more ascetic tradition has has had more airtime or has been more dominant. Mm-hmm. And so we we inherit this idea that there's something inherently suspect about the body. And, you know, we one of my favorite quotations related to eating disorders and faith comes from uh, Michelle Lelwicka, who has done the most writing on this. And she says, sin itself, so the ancient story goes, entered the world through the disobedient appetites of a woman, meaning mm-hmm. Eve in the Garden of Eden, eating mm-hmm. the wrong thing. Wow. And, and I think that's crept in and, and sort of stayed there as suspect. Tertullian thought you had to be very thin to get through the narrow gate into the kingdom of heaven. And even today, there's a whole contemporary diet industry based on faith. This is called Slim for Him. And Mm. many, many books written on how to diet for Jesus. And I find that deeply problematic because I think that, that it gets... It overlooks so many of the good things that exist around food and eating. And so much community happens around a table. So when people are unable to enjoy eating, when it becomes a source of stress or guilt, and people feel like they've sinned when they've quote-unquote indulged in good food, then, then it really interferes not only with physical health, but also feeling connected to other people a little bit more into that connection of of food and community like how how do you see that playing out in in the healing that you see in your community well I think it I think it's often one of the biggest struggles is that meal times for people who are trying to recover from eating disorders are often a source of a lot of stress and distress and People get stuck in their own heads. So people have often been skipping or saying no to invitations to go out to even to coffee or to meet people or to dinner, skipping holidays and family gatherings, sometimes to the point where they no longer get invitations and other times just that they just can't be fully present because they're caught up in their own negative thinking. I think that when when people can be fully present and share food, it normalizes the experience of eating as a valid source of nourishment of body, mind, and spirit. And if we can start early and help young people appreciate shared meals together, then maybe we can avoid some some presentations of eating disorders instead of getting together and eating and talking about how we shouldn't have done that and how bad it was that we had that cake. Mm. Natalie, speaking about kind of coming together um, in our, I guess, kind of how are we practicing that in our different cultures, in our community contexts, um, especially at younger ages, one of the uh, 
rituals or traditions in, in the Christian tradition for many, um, many Christians is the, the table, um, the communion table. Uh, it's called different things among different denominations, but it's, um, it's this table where that's a, a part of the worship, um, where Christians remember the last meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. And, how how has this journey that you've been on affected, maybe even transformed the way that you view the communion table? I think that the communion table is, you know, particularly important symbolically and, you know, obviously ritualistically, but symbolically for the work that I do. It both sanctifies the experience of sharing food together and also sanctifies incarnation. It's a reminder of incarnation that Jesus was embodied and ate and drank and that in this act, in this meal that we share together, we share in embodiment as well as in eating and drinking. And so the body can't be bad. The body can't be our enemy. We don't need to overcome it or subdue it. And and food also can't be bad. A lot of the people that I work with in the counseling setting have really picked up on this cultural message that carbs are evil. And bread is a real problem. So many people who are struggling with an eating disorder might actually not participate in communion for that reason. So that's been one thing that's really been on my mind. And I try to turn that around and use that as well, that if Jesus blessed bread, then it can't be bad for us. Wow. I just, I feel like there's so much... Um, so much earthiness to what you're saying. I mean, you're taking uh, Jesus's very blessing on the bread and and saying, if Jesus blessed this, this this must be good, um, and it must be good for us. Uh, and and you know the idea of Jesus being earthy, embodied in flesh among us, you know, providing a very um, very clear example of how we are to to engage in community with one another and that this is good. This is beautiful. This is uh, a true community around a table. Um, that's just, that's beautiful. So how, how does this communion table give you a sense of mission as you counsel people in whatever situation they may find themselves, whether they identify as Christian or another faith or non-affiliated in general? I think you know the the communion table both represents the that last supper but also is you know kind of points forward to that the the banquet of god's kingdom of that time in the future when everyone sits down together and participates in a communal existence represented by a meal and i think that that's the world that I work towards. And I don't think we have to call it 
God. I don't think we have to call it heaven. I don't think we have to use the words, you know, Jesus or communion to, to demonstrate that and to be that and embody that in our own lives. So that's what I think my, my mission is, is, is trying to embody and live that out in whatever small ways I can do that. And Natalie, you used, if I heard correctly, you used the word kingdom, right? K-I-N-D-O-M. Yeah. And, um, and also communal, uh, there's, there's a, for many Christians, they practice the, uh, communion table as an open table. Um, and it's specifically the tradition that you come from the United Methodist church, uh, does practice an open communion table, which, uh, really lifts up the invitation for all people, um, whoever's present, if they desire to, to, uh, participate in that tradition and the grace at the table that it is open to them. Um, I'm curious if you can just expand a little bit on, on that word kingdom and the concept of open table, especially as it's related to your work. Sure. I use traditionally people would speak of the kingdom of heaven, Mm -hmm. K-N-G, which calls to mind a a much more hierarchical Mm -hmm. image than this image of the banquet. So, so there are different metaphors that exist in the Bible to try to describe this perfect existence that God holds out in hope for the future. And I think the most, the ones that ring most authentic to me are the ones that are communal and egalitarian the where the last will be first and this banquet where we all share together and I imagine sort of extending mutual hospitality uh, although God is ultimately the one extending all of the hospitality is the one that rings truest to me and so emphasizing that we are all kin within this family of God is part of why what that means to me and the open table is the best way we can represent that in the context of of our worship of inviting anyone and everyone to join with us to share to share this meal this ritual together as a sign of peace as a sign of unity and also as united methodists we believe that god's grace works with or without us and often before we act and so we believe that there's something that that god can work through this sharing of communion no matter how we come to it so I think that's a, that's a parallel to a lot of the work that I do because there's a, this little saying in social work that MSW does not stand for must save world. <laughs> and I'm always aware that saving is somebody else's job, that that's something that Jesus already did. And 
and I can be an instrument of God's work in the world, but ultimately it's God who works and God who transforms. So, so I'm creating space for that grace to be working when I'm sitting with clients, when I'm standing in the pulpit, when I'm holding bread. We, we always like to ask our guests, is there a favorite food or a meal that you've encountered in your experiences throughout your counseling career or throughout um, your, your time in the United Methodist Church that, that best captures your reflections so far and sort of the essence of what is meaningful for you in the context of this particular conversation we're having? Yeah, that's a challenging question for sure. Um, I think what comes to mind for me is is stew or or soup. I kind of think about the book Stone Soup, mm-hmm. where which kind of parallels the you know the feeding of the five thousand, where the community didn't think they had anything, but in bringing each of our pieces in and in the the making of soup in bringing carrots and potatoes and beans and broth and maybe meat or whatever it is that you put in there that it that each of us bringing the piece that we have makes this rich and fragrant meal Natalie, as as we wrap up our conversation, I just wanted to open space if there's anything that we haven't um, touched on that you think would be important to include in this conversation. I think one other one other piece of my work is trying to bring spiritual or trying to highlight spiritual practices that help enrich our experience of our bodies and of our Hmm. lot of maybe even the experience of eating. And so, you know, I, I would encourage people to try to get out of their heads a little bit. A lot of our spirituality focuses very much on the mind and sort of in the Protestant tradition, we've gotten very focused on words and even our prayer can be very stuck in our heads, but prayer can also be a very embodied experience and we can bring our awareness into our, into our hearts. We can pray with our hands by doing service, by making things uh, by focusing on the gestures and the, and the positioning that our body represents as we try to feel God's presence with us by tuning into where in our bodies we feel it when we feel connected to our spirituality. And so all of those things, I think, help transform the culture's message that the body is an object we need to control into the transformative message of the Bible, which is that, you know, the body is already in the image of God and it's in it is at the source of our connection with the divine. That's crucial. And 
and challenging <laughs> for, for, I think for so many of us, um, to, to shift from, um, from a spirituality of mind, um, into maybe a more inclusive spirituality of mind and body. Um, I think also for, for many of us who, as you're saying, who've maybe struggled with, um, our relationships with our bodies, whether, um, in, in eating or in other forms where, uh, yeah, where that relationship has, has become very complex and, um, so I thank you for that work that you're doing and that that gentle invitation. And uh, I, if there's, I guess for our listeners um, who resonate with this conversation, with the work that you're doing, who maybe see pieces of this conversation in their own journey or in the lives of their their friends or family members, um, are there, yeah, just any words of en- encouragement that you may offer? Um, any ways that they could delve deeper into into this area? Um, yeah, very, would love to hear your suggestions. Um, there are some really great books on both, you know, the body and spirituality and food, uh, and I can certainly send you guys some some titles if you want to put them on. Yeah, we can include those in the show notes. Yeah. And, you know, of course, just even Googling embodied prayer is, is one way. And, and I think some resources come from other traditions that in, in the general world, there's, there's a lot more resources for mindfulness meditation and, practice out there that isn't necessarily you don't like we said you don't have to call it Christian but a lot of that does bring you into your body either through the breath through gentle walking through connection with nature and so those are also ways that you can begin that process to connect with God made manifest in you and in the world So again, thank you so much, Natalie, for this incredible conversation. And we just also would like to to continue the conversation with, with all of you, um, recognizing that there are so many harmful messages in the world regarding body type and food and eating. We want to offer some life-giving resources and messages and, again, continue to be in conversation. Um, a book that caught our eye is Cassandra Bosdeck's Eat with Intention, Recipes and Meditations for a Life that Lights You Up. Cassandra's incredible honesty and vulnerability with her eating disorder has really inspired us and and has allowed us to explore her recipes and her meditations in new ways that we didn't think were possible. Another book that we came across was Maria Custagiani's Mindful Vegan Meals, Food is Your Friend. Maria has this really vibrant spirit, and that comes across in her writing, uh, her food, and also her honesty with her own journey um, with eating uh, the struggles that she's been through and uh, kind of the ongoing process for her to find uh, ways of engaging um, with her body and with food in ways that feel right to her. 
Yeah, and um, all of these conversations, particularly this season, but hopefully throughout the entire life of this podcast, we want to make sure that we focus on holistic health, which includes all aspects of life, including food and especially community. Uh, recognizing that the table can mean different things for different people is also incredibly important. And we're becoming more and more aware of that with every new person that we talk with, um, with every new book that we pick up. I mean, for some, the table can be a warm, welcome place filled with, with relationships and family recipes. And for others, that table, that same table, can be an isolating, lonely place coming up this season, we'll actually talk with someone who mentions that, you know, one of her friends said that she would never go to a dinner church. Like she could never see herself being comfortable there. And we recognize that that is the reality for some folks. And so we want to be able to open the table in new and different ways and figure out what that looks like. Right. Whose table is it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And And not only that, but what does the table mean for each of us where we are in our journey? And Natalie does such a good job of drawing our awareness to that. Um, If food is something that feels challenging, if our body is something that feels challenging, uh, eating with others can be something that feels not life-giving at times, or that might be draining, or that might um, tap into into all of those... uh, places for us. So just recognizing the complexity of these conversations, the nuances, um, each of our own experiences, and um, and at the same time, still feeling that these conversations are crucial. Um, and so this is, <laughs> this is our attempt, and we hope to continue to attempting and to bringing more voices into the conversation. Uh, and, and kind of in line with that, we recognize that this conversation um, was, was among three people who come out of the Christian tradition, and we uh, continue to hope and are inspired to be having conversations across traditions between traditions and um, also with people who who may not identify with a tradition um, and who may engage with their spirituality in other ways so we just wanted to name all of that and really thank you for joining us at this particular conversation um, and hopefully it's it's met some need in some way so for more information about sea spring um, counseling and for uh, other resources, be sure to check our show notes on our website. Uh, and thank you again so much for joining us at the table. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.